Today, we're going to continue in our series, Life, where we're talking about our mission statement, who we are as a church and as every nation. And our mission statement is this, City Life Church, why do we exist? What's our purpose? We exist to honor God by establishing Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible churches and campus ministries in every nation. That is our passion. That is what we do and why we do everything that we do. That's what drives us. And we've been hitting Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible in different aspects of life. So if you're new with us, we've talked about work life. We've talked about relationships, marriage and friendship, family, parenting. We've talked about of money, how that affects, how Christ-centeredness, spirit and power, social responsibility affects our money. And, and today we're starting part two of time. And time is such a broad concept. Last week we talked a little about time and margin and telling your time where to go and what that looks like when Christ is at the center of your life. Today as we explore spirit-empowered time, it's an, it's an interesting topic um, because it implies that you understand what it means to be empowered by the spirit. And maybe not everybody really understands that. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit can do when you allow him, not just in your life as a part of your schedule. Like I said last week, Jesus didn't die on the cross just to enter into your calendar. He died on the cross in order to be your calendar, your whole life, the center of your calendar. And the Spirit wants to empower you to be able to do that. Because I don't know about you, I can be a very selfish person. And even in Christ-centeredness or maybe even just the initial stage of coming to know Jesus and salvation, it can be a very self-centered reason, right? I, I want to go to heaven, maybe, or I want, to, I want God's pleasure or something good for me, or even just at the bottom of it, I, I, I want to know God. I love God, which is foundational. Look what God has done for me. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. But even that just by itself can just be about me. And what the Holy Spirit helps us do is he empowers us now to go from me to we and us, the church, ultimately to them. And without the Holy Spirit empowering you to do that, you could try it on your, your own, but you'll burn out and you'll do okay and maybe affect a little bit of change. But when the Holy Spirit empowers you, he gets you off of just yourself and gives you kind of a propel, an engine in order to do more than you could ever do on your own. I think it's so easy though to just default into me when God is trying to form a we to affect them. If you know anything about the military, this is what they try to teach in boot camp is going from a concept of me. A lot of people join the military, um, maybe because their family did it, their parents did it, they have a long lineage of people in the military, so that's just what I'm supposed to do. Maybe in order to pay off student loans or go to college and you get the benefit of some of those things. I have friends that have done that, like I reap the benefit. I need healthcare. I'm going to join the military. I don't know be the best reason, but some people do it. But ultimately, when you go to boot camp, they're trying to get out of you just about you and get about we. So it's not just a me-centric, because if you're just me-centric in battle, when you're stuck in a foxhole, you don't care about your neighbor and the person next to you, you'll freeze or you'll retreat. 
And what they want to try to teach you is to get from a me to a we mentality. And I believe Christianity is the same way. But if we just stop with we and our church, we're missing what God has called us to do. And that is to them, to outside, to not just inward, but beyond into the world. And that's what we ultimately want to affect and change. So even with Christ-centered spirit and power, socially responsible, you could say Christ-centered me Spirit-empowered, we, social responsible, them. But you need the power of the Spirit in order to get to them and in order to build a body and build your gifts and know where you're going. Now, for me, I have a very interesting story about being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to show you um, in the book of, book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. I want you to go with me here, and it says this. Jesus is talking, and he's already died. He is already resurrected, and he's about to ascend to heaven. And he's talking to his disciples and about 500 people. And he tells them this, you will, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth or the ends of the earth. So he says, here's what's going to happen. I've conquered everything. I've done all the work, and you are mine. I have given back authority to you, and now I'm going to release to you the power of the Holy Spirit in order to go and effect change and transformation in the world. Now, it's interesting, the rest of that, when it's not, I don't think it's up on the screen, but the rest of that, the, the, the people are watching after Jesus says that. He starts to ascend into the clouds, and they're just staring up at the clouds. And finally, two angels go, hey, guys, uh, go. <laughs> like, get out of here. Why are you staring up at the clouds? Stop looking and waiting for something else to happen right now. Go do what he told you to do. And which he told them to do, go pray, go get ready, go to Jerusalem. And so they had to even, okay, what am I, oh yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. Because the power of the Holy Spirit was not yet upon them, even though the Holy Spirit was in him. So we talk about this, and we've talked about this before in a series that we did called Pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit. And in that series we talked about, and this was several years ago, but we talked about the three prepositions that we see in the scripture. We see the Holy Spirit in people, we see the Holy Spirit with people, and then we see the Holy Spirit upon people. And so the word with is para in the Greek. And in John 14, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be with you. Um, in, E-N, in the Greek is in. First Corinthians 6 says the Holy Spirit is in you. And then in Acts 1-8, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And that's epi. So some people call it being baptized in the Spirit. Some people call it being filled with the Holy Spirit. How many guys have heard of these terms? Some people call it the second blessing. Um, these different things, whatever you have experienced or think um, or whatever your background is, as I'm even talking now, you're starting to go, where are we going with this? Or you're starting to go, okay, yeah, okay, I'm listening. Or you're starting to go, what is happening? You see, Jesus didn't come just to send you to heaven, but he came to empower you to bring heaven to earth. And so in order to do that, we need to understand what the Holy Spirit is sent for, who he is, 
and what he's called us to do. Now, we often time, I don't know if you every year, I'm around Christmas time, all these different Christmas um, shows come on. Why don't you turn to the person on your left and tell them your favorite Christmas movie in five seconds. Ready? One, two, three, go. Okay. How many of you guys would say Elf? Elf? Anybody? Big Elf fans? Yeah, we love Elf in our family. How many guys um, like like the Santa Claus? Tim Allen, the Santa Claus, old school, weird. Um, the Grinch. The Grinch is good. That's a really good one. Okay. What is it? Die Hard. <laughs> of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, wow. I can't quote Dry Hard from the pulpit, um, but maybe afterwards. Um, so one of, one of our favorite is, uh, of course, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, that's just a classic, and we just love that one. And I, I mention that because I think so many times the church, Christians in general, and uh, the world treats the Holy Spirit um, like Cousin Eddie. Um, in there, you know, in the show, uh, Cousin Eddie just kind of drops in and everybody's like, oh my gosh, who's this guy? And he's just weird and drinking all the eggnog and his dog pees on everything and eats everything. And, and we, we think the Holy Spirit, like, like, I'm cool with God the Father, like I can relate. Jesus, man, Jesus is my boy. The Holy Spirit, eh, he's kind of weird. Like, I don't know, if he shows up, we don't know what's going to happen. He's so unpredictable, and he's so crazy. I mean, the house might burn down. We don't, we don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And I think it's really sad that we view the Holy Spirit in that way because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a person, and he cares deeply about you as the third member of the Godhead, as God. And, and he specifically wants to encourage you and help you to live the life that Jesus purchased. Jesus said this. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. How many of you guys want abundant life? And we're not just selling something, your best life now, but literally God says, listen, I know the way to life. I experience life. I am life. And I want to give that to you. And your mundane existence where you're just going through the motions is not what I want for you ultimately. I have dreams and visions and passions and gifts and people for you to reach and things for you to do. I have a purpose and I want to empower you to fulfill that purpose. And anybody in their right mind would say, okay, please do that. The problem is the Holy Spirit wants to do it on his timing, in his way as Lord. And this is where we have a hard time. I'm, I'm cool with believing in Jesus. You know, I can go to church and I can kind of do my thing. But, okay, God, you want to actually control me and, and give me self-control, but give me some of these things that I can't do on my own. See, that's weird for me because if I don't have control and if I don't know what's going to happen, I am going to lose it. And we have this controlling mindset even within us that we can't let go because he's a little unpredictable. He might tell me to do something that I don't want to do. And if those are your inhibitions or your hesitations, it actually says something about who your Lord is. And if you can't trust in the goodness of God, 
and that he knows what's best for you and he's trying to lead you somewhere, you're gonna be like that military person that joined and goes to the boot camp and they're trying to get you to do something you don't want to do and you will not pass. You will not get to that place because they're constantly saying, do this, do this, because they know they're trying to craft something within your character and your ability, but you won't submit to it because ultimately you're going, I don't trust you. I don't know that I can trust you, but I can trust me. And what a scary position that is in, that puts you in. For me, I think about my experience with the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a a Baptist church, which is a great church um, that I grew up in, uh, Indiana Avenue Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas. Um, And I loved that church, I learned a lot. And um, I got water baptized at that church and God was really teaching me a lot of things. Well, my parents divorced when I was um, about almost a teenager. And my mom remarried this guy who um, grew up in the Baptist church as well, but had kind of come into a non-denominational church and gotten away some of those traditions. He would say he's thankful for his heritage, but he's not limited by it. And I think that's a great position to have because the last thing you want to say is I'm Spirit empowered, so those people are dumb or those people are not right. The Spirit should empower you also to humility. And so it's okay to be thankful for your heritage and where you've come from while saying, I'm not limited by that. And so I inherited a stepdad who was, uh, I would say, balanced, but more charismatic than I grew up. So I'm growing up in church and I'm sitting in the pews and we would stand and we would sing the hymn and we would go, you know, every once in a while. Um, So we weren't super devout, but we would go every once in a while and and I would sing the songs and stuff like that. And, and, but, but you never saw anything out of the ordinary. There was always a sense of control. You knew what to expect. And in some ways that's nice in church because you're going, okay, I can kind of predict this atmosphere. So that's nice. Well, my stepdad and my mom take me to this little more charismatic non-denominational church called Trinity Church in Lubbock, Texas. And a little bit different back then in the 90s. And I, I, I'm coming to this church and it's big and there's these screens with the words and people are like singing and dancing. And there was this one lady who just did this move. I mean, <laughs> like right in front of me. And I'm like, I can't see because I'm shorter than I was then. And so, or than I wasn't and am now, I mean. And so I'm, I'm seeing all this and I, I'm literally just freaked out. And my mom would ask me, why won't you sing? And I'm just like, I'm not singing. I am not singing. This is weird. This is like unpredictable. This is a little crazy. I don't trust these people. Where's my hymnal? <laughs> and some of you guys felt like that when you walked in this room. Where did, what is this? A lot of the songs we sing are Every Nation songs. So we're singing them all over the world. And you might not recognize them because they're not Hillsong or Bethel, which is all you listen to maybe. But there's other songs out there and other organizations doing things. And so you might be like, what is going on? What is this? And some people, that detracts them. They're going, I'm not, that's weird. I'm not interested in that. I'm kind of afraid. I think in general, there's this concept of a charismatic or spirit-filled church. That, that we even in, the, in Christianity that we're like, oh, I'm, that's, a, that's a little out there. That's a little weird. Like, I love Jesus, but I'm not a like, Jesus freak, crazy kind of person like that. 
And then the world kind of separates things into the born-again Christians, which if you look at like, I was looking at Urban Dictionary this week, which is fascinating. I couldn't repeat any of it. But look up born-again Christian, and you'll see things like they take the Bible literally, they're all hypocrites, da 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 And this concept that a born-again Christian is this fundamental right-winged Republican white person that is born again. And it's sad to me because that term born again or born of the spirit was coined by Jesus. And when he coined it, he was talking to a religious person. And he told him he had to be born again. It's backwards. It's upside down. What does it mean to be born of the spirit? What does it mean Well, salvation comes to our life as we trust in Jesus and the finished work that everything he did, he did for me so that now I can come back in relationship with God and I trust him and he gives me his spirit that now lives in me according to the scripture. Let me show you. Here's the pattern that we see with the disciples. We see salvation coming, number one. Let's look at John 20, 19 through 22. Check this out. So when it was evening on that day, the first day at the week, and when the doctors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, I mean the doors were shut, excuse me, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you know anything about scripture, God first breathed life into man, into Adam, okay? And that breath, the word um, uh, in Hebrew is ruach, you have to, ruach is the Holy Spirit or spirit, and it means breath or wind. And so you see now Jesus in the new creation, now breathes and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit is now in them. Before he was with them, now he's in them. And that is salvation. But that is not the end. That's not it. There are other experiences that God wants for you. And I want to explain this. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. Jesus says this, gathering them together, we commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized or immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they receive salvation, the breath of God, and the Holy Spirit is in them. Now he says, wait For the promise, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you. Now look at this. Number three, then came an empowerment. Acts 2, 1 through 8 says this. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. 
And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance out of their control. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? So now you see an empowerment and a supernatural thing coming on them where they're doing the miraculous. And you read the book of Acts and you see the disciples doing miraculous things. And I don't know about you, but listen, God's not giving us this book and not giving us these understanding just for us to go, wow, Jesus is awesome and the disciples are awesome, but also to go, wow, God wants to do this in me as well, from a me to a we to a them. And, and the first hurdle is God wants to do this through me. Because I think a lot of us go, I, I, I can't, that's not me. That's for those people or that. That's for them. And no, 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 no. That is for you today, which whatever gift or whatever way he decides and purposes in your life. Now, the world today is obsessed with the supernatural and all of our movies and Marvel and DC and all of these things. And I believe it's because God is stirring and doing something to say, hey, I have the goods on what this looks like. But it's not for your benefit. It's ultimately to glorify me. And when I say me, I mean God, not me. Um, I got to make sure that's clear. Some churches. Okay, so we see this pattern of salvation of waiting, and of empowerment. Now, you not only see that with the disciples, but we see it also with some new converts. So it's not just the disciples. Let me show you. Acts 8, verse 5 through 17 says this, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip. As they heard, look at this, and saw the signs which he was performing. He's not just preaching, he's also demonstrating the power of God because God is all about showing his love and his glory. For in this case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. Verse 8. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now, there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had a long time astonished them with his magic arts, the Carbonaro effect. But when they had believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of the Lord, they sent them to Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Look at this. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply 
been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began, began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, not only do we see that with the disciples, salvation, weight, empowerment. Now we see this, the same pattern, with some of the first converts. Number one, we see salvation come to them in verse 12. Number two, we see this waiting. And number three, we see an empowerment in verse 17 as the apostles came and laid their hands on them. Now to continue my story, I'm this Baptist kid, kind of conservative, involved in this charismatic church, and I thought they were crazy. I had other people telling me, no, that's not in the Bible, or that's in the Bible, but that's passed away. That's not for us today. That was just for the disciples. That was just for the, the frozen chosen and those people. Not for us, so don't get crazy. We don't want to be weird, okay? So this, this fear, because sometimes these things can be abused. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I've experienced that as well. But the abuse of some of the gifts and some things that we've seen in church, if that detracts me from saying, God, I want anything you have, something is wrong with my faith. And today I want to encourage you as we continue and kind of wrap up, what do you believe and why do you believe it? Do you believe that God wants to not just save you, but wants to also empower you? You see, God will meet you at your point of faith. And he's waiting for you to have this even possibility or desire of faith. Jesus says this, ask and keep on asking. He says, seek, which means like research and go after it and keep on seeking. And he says, knock, which means to bang hard on a door and it will be open and keep doing that. So many of us start and we ask, okay, thank you, I received but we don't now continue to seek God for more that he has for us. To me, it's like I, I, I read an article, and I'm not trying to be um, grotesque or anything like that. So this example is interesting, but help, help, help me here. I read this article of a couple, devout Christians, that saved themselves before marriage from having sex. So they didn't have sex before marriage, and awesome, that's good. Me and my wife did the same thing. It's to be applauded. It's a great thing, and it's a biblical thing. And they saved themselves. But then they got married, and a year into their marriage, they continued to save themselves for, who knows, before consummation. Because to them, sex was like a gross thing and a bad thing. That level of intimacy is so gross in our culture because it's abused. Because it's, it's, it's so, how many of you guys know, it's abused in our culture. It, it becomes something that is the ultimate thing or an extremely gross thing. And so for them, they're like, you know what? It's a badge of honor and grace for us to not do that and to abstain for that. Even in our marriage, so look at us. We don't even have to have this to have a great marriage. And I read the article and I threw up a little bit in my mouth because that's ridiculous. But let me equate this. You can be married to Christ and not be intimate with him, ultimately empowered by him to change the world. You see, that intimacy and that consummation, the goal of it is not just for enjoyment, but ultimately for kids, for discipleship, to further a legacy 
to change a culture. And many of us have been married to Jesus, but we've never ultimately had an intimate relationship with God in order to produce what God wants to produce. And we're frustrated maybe even with our relationship with God or frustrated with church or frustrated with life. And God's saying, what I designed for you is so much more than what you're utilizing now. And I believe this is what's happening with the disciples, with the converts. This is what was happening with me. I, 17 years old, said, okay, God, I'm done with religion. Like, I'm trying to be good on my own. God, I need you. And I gave my life fully to Christ. And I told him, I'll get rid of everything, anything, like secular music. I don't care what it is. Like I was one of those like, Lord, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going all in. I'm extreme in this way. I will do it. I'm, I'm all for you. And I remember the first time you guys, some of you guys heard this story. I'd never really seen the power of God. I mean, I've seen people worship and lift their hands, and that was like to the extent, and I thought that was weird until I started reading in the book of Psalms where it says lift hands to the Lord and clap. And I'm going, okay, this is how you like to be worshiped? Easy. I'm not trying to do it to be a spectacle or be weird. It's what you like. I will do it because I love you and I want to do the things that you like. So I I overcome that hurdle by getting in the scripture and seeing. And then I'm starting to read the book of Acts and I read like this, Acts chapter eight. And then if you look in chapter 19, you see the same kind of thing. And I'm going, is there more? Not because salvation isn't enough. Don't hear that. But because God wants more to empower you and to encourage you and help you. And I'm starting reading about gifts and some of these things and going, I don't really know. I mean, I kind of know some of my natural gifts, but spiritual gifts, I, I don't really know what that looks like. So I'm starting to explore some of that. And I have had people, had people say, no, don't do that. That's weird. Then I had other people encourage me. And then at 17-year-old, I go to this men's retreat. And at this men's retreat, there was a, a special speaker. And uh, he, he gets up there and he does his message. And I'm there and I'm like, okay, this is Okay. And uh, I didn't really want to go. I kind of was dragged there. How many of you guys were dragged to church as kids? Anybody? Just a few of you have good parents. And so um, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> uh, I was always thankful afterwards. It's like, I don't want to go. And then I'm like, oh, okay, that was good. Um, and, and I go to this retreat. I was dragged there. And uh, I, I was playing pool with this guy with a, um, tattoos all over him, and he, he, didn't, he didn't know the Lord. He was drugged there by his brother, who had just recently got saved and got delivered from all of these demons from the occult. He had a demon tattoo around his chest, and he was this big 350-pound guy, um, had a swastika tattooed on his lip. And uh, he went to the church one day, uh, like a week before that men's retreat, and told the pastor, I need Jesus. And they prayed for him, and things started happening. And so this is in California, so it happens more than in Texas. Um, Our demons are quiet and so, and conservative (laughs) and in the church. And so uh, it's true, it's true. Uh, And so 
I'm at this retreat and I'm playing pool with his brother who's the opposite of him. He's like Randy's size. I love you, Randy. Sorry. I always use Randy as an illustration. But um, he's just this little, and, and he was also in the occult. Well, the, the pastor, we, we were playing pool and we're just kind of shooting the bull and doing our thing and I'm relating with him. And then we go in and we go in the service and I'm, I'm sitting there um, like some of you sitting watching me and they go into this prayer time at the end. And these guys come to the front and they start laying hands on people and people start start making noises and doing things. And I'm like, oh, what, why am I here? This is crazy. I'm ready to play some pool or basketball. What is happening? And I'm freaked out. And then I see that dude and people are praying for him. And he starts like growling. And this is, it's not a believer. This isn't somebody like, this isn't TBN. Okay. He starts growling and acting like an animal and guys are getting on top of him because he's like throwing chairs and guys are getting, and his brother gets on top of him about five other guys. And I'm telling you, people are like flying off of him supernaturally. And almost, I'm almost getting hit by chairs and people. And, and I'm telling him, I'm 17. I'm going, what is happening? Like I just got over hymns. What am I doing? And I'm watching this guy, and it's freaking me out. And my stepdad, okay, um, who at this point I've known five years, and he kind of led me into this. Thanks a lot. What is happening? He works now with Max Lucado, um, and he he's a pastor of a church in uh, 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 what's it called? Max Lucado's churches in Fredericksburg, Oak Hills, and so he, he's there now. But anyway, at that time, he was my youth pastor, and I'm his stepson, and 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 he goes up to that guy, he's slinging people, and people are just trying to hold him down, and he goes up and he says, just like this, in Jesus' name be still. And the guy falls flat on his face and just still, still one of the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And at that point I went, (laughs) 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 what, what is this? Like I'm used to like two songs, a hymn, a poem, right? And, and, and then, and then prayer and we sing just as I am 10,000, you know, times. And what is this? And then I read the Bible and and then I see it's the same thing. And the name of Jesus is powerful. Like I just always included it like a period on the end of my prayers. I didn't realize there's power. Like we sing about it, but I see it. And you read things like Philip and he's not only just preaching it, but now you see things and you go, oh, wow, there must be a God. And you see the Simon guy going, okay, I've been doing my trickery and my sorcery, but I can't transform people's life like that. Like, I can't do that. I got the smoke and mirrors thing going on, but you're, something's happening and people are getting empowered by the spirit. Give me what you have, Philip. What is this? Where is that today? Where is that? See, I I didn't come to Jesus for that. I gave my life to Jesus before that. But something happened in me where I went, well, there's more. There's more than what I think. I thought I knew a lot of things about the Bible and scripture and God. There's so much more. And so I went into a season of praying and waiting. And let me tell you, it took me about two years to get to a place to be able to actually receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the power empowering of God. And, and 
when I finally received, it was because it took that long just to break some foundations and fears and the stuff that was on me of control and just finally get to the point where, God, I don't care. I just want you. Like, I don't care about anything else. I'm tired of living for everything else. I'm tired of being afraid of what people think about me. I'm tired of saying, well, I'm this way because this is my personality. I don't care about that. I just want you and I want whatever you have for me because I want to change the world. And it, and it wasn't like God's going, okay, I've got to do all these things to prepare you. It's actually that I had to get to a position to receive because God's ready and willing and able. You see in the Bible, some people would receive Jesus and then be filled with the Holy Spirit right away. For me, I was similar to the Samaritans, similar to some of the people here, it just took me a while to wait. And I think some people even in this room have heard some of these things and because you've heard of abuses and weirdness, you're afraid and you're shy. And I don't want to go after that. What's going to happen? God is a, is a gentleman. He's not here to shame you or weird you out, but he is here to change you. And if, if you're coming to church just for yourself, God wants to take you from that place to come here for others and empower you to do what he's created you to do. I think this is what Christmas is ultimately about. It's about receiving the gift of God that changed the world and him empowering you to receive that same gift and change the world. I want to show you a video real quick, and the worship team's going to come, and we're going to end in worship. We're going to have our prayer team. We call it our one-to-one -one team up here praying. Any pray, anything you need prayer for. But my desire is not just you experience because I experience it, but you look at the word, and you go, man, something's missing. And again, it's not that salvation's not complete. Jesus, it is complete. But see, God has more for you because you're not complete. You're not done. And if you think you're done, I feel sorry for you because there's so much more God has for you. All you have to do is ask and receive. We want to give you that opportunity. I want to show you this video. Jesus' very last act on earth is also one of his most puzzling. He ascends into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. On the surface, the ascension appears to show Christ leaving our world. But if we see the ascension resulting in less of Jesus' presence instead of more, then we are missing out on a powerful truth about the ascended Jesus. When Jesus encounters Mary Magdalene after his resurrection, she throws her arms around him. She had lost him once, and she would never lose him again. But Jesus says to her, Don't hold on to me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. One could assume that Jesus is saying this because his resurrected body is sacred, but later Jesus invites Thomas to touch his wounds, so that can't be the case. Jesus knew the fear that Mary felt, thinking she had lost him forever. So through his reply, Jesus is saying, if you let go, 
If you let me ascend, you'll have access to an even stronger relationship with me. Mary, the way I am right now, there's a chance you could lose me. But if I ascend to the Father, you will have me forever and nothing will ever be able to take me away from you. His presence would come through the Holy Spirit, who is not merely a force, but a person who would come in his place. Jesus said, unless I go away, the advocate will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ to us. This is why Jesus said that through the Holy Spirit, he would finally show himself to his disciples. The implication is that the disciples did not and could not truly know Jesus until he went away bodily and returned through the Holy Spirit, which is encouraging for us to see because you might be under the impression that if only you could have lived and walked with Jesus, that you would know him better than you do now. But you'd be wrong. Before Jesus died, the Holy Spirit had not been released into the world in this powerful way. And you can only know Jesus fully through the Spirit's influence, as he shows you in the shadow of the cross how high and long and wide and deep his love is for us. In other words, through the Holy Spirit, you can see Christ and know his presence and his love better than the apostles on the night of the Lord's Supper. So the inevitable question is, are you living like this is true? Are you living like Christ is more accessible now than he was when he walked the earth? Jesus has made his intentions clear. He left heaven and all of his glory for your sake. And through his ascension, he has made himself infinitely available to you. Christ has drawn near to you. So draw near to him. I think it's a powerful description and reminder of our need for more. I think as we were singing earlier and just worshiping, I don't know about you, but there's so many things um, in this world, in my life, in our, our family. <laughs> We've had a member of our family sick. My son's at home with pneumonia right now. And you know, that happens, stuff happens. And Casey's brother has cancer and we're gonna be with him and he has bone cancer in his arm. And so this is an interesting Christmas for us. And just knowing a lot of you are hurting and families are breaking and things are, Things are hard and it's easy in this season just to get lost in the motion and just in the, the normalcy of life and just the season and winding down and Christmas. And, and I, I think for me, as I was worshiping this morning, I just something in me was saying, fight, fight, fight. And the Holy Spirit saying, fight. I have more for you. Like pray like you believe it. Take some things over in your life, in the atmosphere. You need to fight. Don't just take it. Fight. Because I've empowered you to do that. And in this room, God wants to empower you. Maybe you're just like, I don't, I haven't felt anything in a while. I'm just kind of going through the motion or 
I'm just kind of I'm waiting for this thing and then I'll, I'll kind of give it my all. And God's going, the fight right now because he wants to empower you. And he wants, this is the thing, he wants to fight with you. And I think because Jesus has already done all this, he's going, listen, I've already done it. Now I need you to initiate it. And I'm there because I've given it to you. But I need you to fight. I need you to get your faith up. And I want to invite you to stand. And maybe your fight today is just singing. And maybe it's, this is the, all the energy I have. I just sing. Maybe you're praying. Maybe you come to the front and just say, ask for one of our prayer partners to just pray for you. I, I need the filling of the Holy Spirit. I need God to move because just my own thing and just the normalcy of life, I need something supernatural. I want to invite you as we worship. Fight. Lord, I thank you for this time and this moment. And we give it to you. And we ask your spirit to move. In Jesus' name, amen.